Well, good morning. It's good to have everybody here today. You, if you're in Kidmo, you are welcome to head on out. It's going to be like half our crowd this morning. <laughs> and if you're a leader, you can go with them, I hope. But uh, now we're glad to have you here today. You know, every now and then, we, whenever I've got a sermon, I think, man, this is like, this is going to be a really good sermon. Like, nobody comes, but you're here, and you're the most important people. So we're glad, I'm glad that you're here. But since nobody else came, I'm going to do a different sermon today. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, anyways, it is interesting. Sometimes I feel like, uh, wow, God, this is going to be just a great morning for some folks. But you were the folks. And uh, so we'll just, anybody who's missing, let's be sure and reach out to them and tell them that we miss them. Um, I want to tag on a couple of things uh, that David mentioned. And that is our VBS for this year. We've done VBS the last few years. And our goal in everything that we do is not just that we do stuff for us. We want to do stuff for us. It's important. Your children are important to us. And every year, VBS has been done very well. Um, people have really stepped up and have just served very you know, graciously and very professionally. Um, the quality of what we do at VBS is just is very high, I believe. However, our goal for VBS was not just for us, but it was also for our community. And what we've noticed is the way that we've been doing VBS, we have not really reached a lot of folks outside of our walls. And so we, being a smaller church, it gives us some flexibility and freedom to try stuff that other, others may not be able to try. And so we want to try something this year. And we want to take VBS, or the idea of VBS, and we want to take it out of here, and we want to take it to a local park, at the, and I can't remember the name of the park. The, what is the name of the park right beside Red Bank Elementary School? You don't know either, so I don't feel so bad. Um, we thought, at first we thought it was Red Bank Park, but I think that's actually the park over off Dayton Boulevard. Um, but the one right there next to the school, what we'd like to do is to take Wednesday nights um, through June and July, not including July 4th uh, week, but through June and July, we would like to take uh, our elementary kids, and we might have some other age groups that will be involved as well, and, and take it to that park. Now, in addition, we want to make sure that we reach out to all of the communities around here that have kids and let them know that that's going on, and see if we can take the idea of backyard Bible clubs to the kids. So if you would like to learn more about uh, being a part of that, then we're going to have a short meeting right after the service today. Uh, Deidre's going to share more about that idea. Now, will it be the greatest thing that we've ever done? Probably not, but it's going um, to be great. And not only is it an opportunity for us to reach out in the community, it's an opportunity to take our kids into the community as well. And I, I just cannot tell you how important it is to get kids involved in doing things like that because it shapes the way they see the world. It shapes the way they see their peers. It shapes the way they see the community and they realize they have a role in the community um, in order to give to the community and not just expect others to give to them. So we think it's going to be a great opportunity for us. If you'd like to learn more, it's not going to be this massive light show, put up a stage, live band, you know, crazy stuff like that. It's going to be fairly low-key. Um, but if you are interested in, in learning more about that and being a part of that, I hope you'll stick around after. We're pretty excited about it and actually have been thinking about this for quite some time. So um, we're going to give it a go and see how that, how that goes. All right? 
Um, I want to finish today our series called I Love Jesus. Now, I hope this has been a good series for you. It's been a good series for me. Uh, in fact, as I put this series together, it was highly therapeutic for me because it reminded me uh, of why I am where I am in life and why I am who I am. It is not because I'm supposed to be a pastor. It is not because I study the Bible. It is not because I can get up in front of people and talk. Um, it is because Jesus loved me, and he reached out to me, and I learned that I could love him back. And so early in my life, when I became a Christian, uh, the thing that kept me on my own path of following Christ was not what my parents told me I was supposed to do. That wasn't always an encouragement, right? That didn't always make me want to do what they told me to do. It wasn't because I went to church and the pastor told me what I'm supposed to do. Uh, it, it was because I had an experience with Jesus Christ and he was real to me. And it was the kind of, of experience that I wanted to have every day of my life. Whenever I became a Christian, in the moment that I believe I became a Christian, I was about 15 years old. And no joke, Jesus could, the only, if he had clothes on, it would have been maybe more real, but there was, could have been no more real that Jesus was right there with me. Now, I didn't see him. I didn't hallucinate. I wasn't on anything. You know, it was a true experience with Christ, but I knew through my spirit he is real, and he is with me, and he wants to have a relationship with me. And so in that moment, it changed everything. It began to change the way I lived, changed the way I acted, changed the way the, I, the people that I hung around with. Um, it changed what my goals were for my life. And some of those, it took many years for God to change some of those goals. Uh, but it was a moment that I knew he was with me and I was with him. So my quiet time took on new value, took on new meaning. It was not just, well, I need to read this, but instead it was God speaking to me. And whenever God spoke to me, I knew I needed to do what he said. Now, I would love to say that every time God has told me to do something, I've done it. I would love to stand up here and tell you that. I cannot. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to share with you today what I am. But in those times, especially early on in my faith, as I read through God's word, he was so real through that. It was as if he was in a chair in front of me telling me these things. And because I believed that he was the son of God, I believed he was holy and he was inerrant and he was omniscient. And I believe he had a plan for me. And I believe that whatever he thought was best was way better than what I thought was best because I trusted and believed in those things whenever I would pray and whenever I would hear from him through his word, I felt compelled. I need to act on this. And so this relationship that I hope you have with Christ is not one that's based on tradition. It's not one that's based on, well, my parents always took me to church, so I just always go to church. I, I hope it's not based on, well, the pastor said we're supposed to do this, so we do this. Instead, I hope like my own relationship with Christ, it's based on the reality that God loved you and he gave his life for you so you could know him and love him. And you with me could look forward to an eternity that we could be with him forever. You know, I've said before, I wonder what would happen to churches across the world if we took heaven off the table. If heaven was not a, an option. If everything you could experience with Christ was just right now from the moment that you're born to the moment that you die. What if everything really did end when you die, would we still follow Christ? And I believe that when you have a relationship where you love Jesus and you know that he loves you, you would say, though disappointed, 
you would say it is worth it. Because to live life without Christ is not to truly live life. And so as we go through this today, what I really want to share with you is this is all well and good when we talk about all the good moments in life, isn't it? It's all well and good when things are going well and we have a great worship experience and the music's good and I really like the songs and things are going okay in my life. And so most of my prayers are about, you know, is Starbucks still open or have they closed yet versus I need you to help me because I feel like my life's about to fall apart. When we are experiencing those kinds of struggles, sometimes we're not so excited about our faith. But Along the way, you are going to find, as I did, that no matter how much I loved Jesus, no matter how many times I followed his word, there were going to probably be an equal or maybe an even larger number of times where I failed and I would fall. Times when I knew what God said was, was true and I knew that he said this was sin and this is not what, how I need to live my life, and yet I still walk headlong against his teachings into destructive behaviors. You are going to go through that if you haven't already. And if you haven't already, we probably need to talk. You're probably blind because you're going through them right now would be my guess. And so what happens when you fail? Does he stop loving us? Do we stop loving him? If I really do love Jesus, do I prove that by never sinning? Can I reach a level of maturity in which I don't ever fail? Deidre and I had, we were, we were on, a, on a car ride back um, yesterday. We had been out of town, and, and we were just talking about some of the, the fallacies that we believed over our lives about what it means to follow Jesus and, and what it means to be a church as well. And one of the fallacies that it's very easy to believe is that if God loves me and I love him, that he will bless me. And if I'm doing all the right things, that means God is going to bless whatever's going on in my life. It sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like that should be true. I mean, God's proud of us. He's happy for us. You know, we're toeing the line. He's going to throw us a few extra blessings along the way. But that's not always the way it works out. In the church world, we will sometimes say if God is blessing, then the church is growing in large numbers. And so if your church isn't growing in large numbers, you ask yourself, why is God not blessing us? Because we think that somehow blessing always means ease and growth. But sometimes it's in those life struggles that we truly find who Christ is, and it's not in the abundance of pleasure or in the abundance of blessing. So I want to share with you a story about Peter. Now, I want you to kind of remember where we've been over these last few weeks. This is our fifth week talking about I Love Jesus. The first week, we began with what is an absolute true principle wherever you are in life and what you can experience now and you can live out within your own life. And that is that Jesus loved us first. And because Jesus loved us first, we could then love him and not just perform religious duties. Religious duties being go to church, serve, give, you know, whatever. Uh, tweet a, number, a, a certain number of religious things, you know, and, and things like that. Make sure you've got a selfie by all the Bible verses that you put, you know, online, things like that. Whatever our religious duty is supposed to be, right? 
But instead, he loved us first. And the truth is, with people that you really want to care about or you want to reach out to, and this is so true in evangelism itself, and one of the reasons that I think the church struggles, we have missed the reality that often before someone else loves us, we have to love them first. Now, when I first met Deidre, I've shared this story before, Deidre was not so impressed. Uh, it took me quite a while to wear her down to be willing to go out with me. Um, she's really not any more impressed today than she was back then. So I don't know how successful, but somehow I talked her into sticking around for a while. Uh, but in my relationship with her, I was interested in her well before she was interested in me. And so I began to show her my interest in her, and she eventually came around. But often in our relationships, is that not how it works? We actually have to demonstrate love before they're ever able to reciprocate it. It happens in parenting. It happens in some of your friendships. Sometimes it happens with brothers and sisters or estranged family members or friends. It happens when you go to work and there's that person at work that is just a pain and nobody wants to work with them. Maybe that's you. I don't know, but... I'm trying not to look anybody in the eye when I say that. I'm not trying to point out this. It is you. But, but when we begin to love somebody, someone intentionally, it is natural for them to begin to respond in kind. Jesus did that first with us. Jesus loved us. He came. He gave his life on the cross for us. That even though we were sinners, he still died for us so that we could know him and more importantly, love him. The second week, we talked about the reality that whenever we love Jesus, we will spend time with him. This is that abiding time. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people miss. Whenever you read your Bible, because you're supposed to read your Bible, that is a very different experience than I read my Bible because I want to hear from God. See, if you read your Bible because you're supposed to read your Bible, you'll get worn out real quick. You'll get bored, and you'll only want to read the exciting parts and the exciting stories. But when you read Scripture because this is my time with God and I hear from Him through this, then it changes the whole dynamic. People who love Jesus love to spend time with Him. Now, if you got married and you never wanted to spend time with each other, people would say something's wrong. That didn't work out the way it was supposed to work out. It's the same way with Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us that marriage is just an example of Christ's relationship with the church. And so when we love someone, we want to spend time with them. If we never want to spend time with them, then we have to ask ourselves, do we really love them? So the third week, we talked about Peter in that week. Peter had just, they had experienced Pentecost and he was preaching and the very same religious leaders that had just crucified Jesus tried to shut him up. But what we've learned through Peter's life at that stage of his life was that when we love Jesus, he is more valuable to us than life is. And so he continued to proclaim God's truth, continued to proclaim the gospel, even though the same people who had killed Jesus basically said, if you don't stop, we're going to kill you too. And he said, how can we stop? How can we stop? And so the message that is a part of our lives is one that we continue to deliver, even though you may not be faced with death for delivering it in this nation. 
you may be ostracized, you may be ridiculed, you may be made fun of, you may not get a job, or you may lose a job even. But knowing Him and fulfilling His message is more valuable to us than life. And then the fourth week, we discussed a very hard truth. And that is that when we love Jesus, He is the center of our universe, and we are not. But when you're born, you are born into a world that causes you to believe the world revolves around you. And if the world revolves around us, then there's no need for us to revolve around anyone else. We expect God to revolve around us. So, how do we deal with all of this context of loving Jesus and the reality that you're going to fail and I'm going to fail? I think one of the things that I see regularly in people today is a lack of self-confidence. People struggling to believe they have internal value. And so one of the things that, that is happening, I think, in many people in these younger generations that are coming up is because they don't feel like they are confident, because they don't feel like they have value, what they are beginning to do is to try to clamor for some sense of value and some sense of confidence. And where often they are led is, again, putting themselves in the center of the universe. And whenever we do that, that is sin. And one of the things that we often struggle with is trying to feel like we fit in this world when no one's telling us how we fit. But when we understand and we love Jesus, we can find where we fit. I'm going to be sharing several verses in Matthew, and then we're going to be in John. If you want to turn to Matthew 26, if you've got your Bible, if you want to follow on version, uh, you can follow along on version. We're going to back up from Peter's story, and we're going to back up to not a very good time for him. Now, at this point in Peter's life, he was a fisherman, and Jesus has called him. Jesus went, literally went to get him. And said, I want you to be one of my inner, not just inner 12, but if you go through and you study Jesus and his disciples, you'll find that there's concentric circles of disciples. And so in, in some scenarios, he has hundreds of people that are following him. In other scenarios, you know, he, he brings together a small group of 70 to 80 and brings them together and talks to them. And then within that group, he has his 12 that he really invests in. And even within that group, group of 12, there are just a handful that he, he spends his most intimate time with preparing them to be leaders. And Peter is one of those. So here he is an uneducated fisherman, not someone who likely has a whole lot of self-confidence outside of fishing. And he's being brought in by the savior of the world to learn what it means to build a church. And, and even Jesus even goes on to say, you're going to have a critical role in continuing this message once I'm gone. And yet, where we reach Peter in this story is at the moment that Jesus has been preparing him and Peter is about to turn away from Christ. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 30, this is Jesus telling Peter that you're, you're about to deny me. And Peter's disbelief that that would ever happen. You can in, insert into this story any failing or falling in your own life that you would like. Because this is Peter's. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will, what's that word? All, not just Peter, you will all fall away because of me this night. 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, headstrong Peter, who never has a lack for words. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, let that sink in. You are part of his inner circle. You have walked with him. You have seen the miracles. In some cases, you have actually performed miracles in his name. And you are preparing for the Savior of the world to completely change everything forever. This is your good friend, someone you love, someone you want to be with, someone you want to spend time with. This is a a close, close friend, a brother. And he says to them, you're all going to fall away tonight. Now, there have been times in my life and likely times in your life where I am more on target with following through God's word than others. There are some times when I am trying to follow through in God's word that I fail miserably. And there are some times that I read them and just kind of laugh like that's never going to happen, God. I appreciate you putting that in there and telling me I'm never going to be that person. Somebody else will be, but not me. You know, we all have those times when we read through and we recognize our limitations. For Peter, he never wanted to admit those. And when we aren't willing to admit when we are going to fail or fall, what ends up happening is we fall all the farther. And so what we can glean just from these first few verses are a couple of things. Number one, no one expects to fail. Think back to any major failure in your life. Any, any, what I don't, relational, at work, with friends, at school, whatever, any failure that you had in life, did you enter into that failure thinking, I think I'm going to fail at this. Now, you may have been concerned. You may have known this was a risk. You may have known this is probably a little above my skill set. But you didn't enter into it thinking, I am ready to go do this and fail right now. Instead, you went in thinking, I'm going to do this. No one expects to fail all of the disciples were like oh no way it's not gonna happen jesus we've been with you we love you we understand who you are we know the prophecies we know the power you have we've seen you do incredible things not us we'll never fall away and whenever you come to that moment of believing i have reached the level of my faith that i will no longer fail be prepared for a long fall if you're a big Maui watcher or Moana watcher, we are. I've watched Moana now. Ask Jake. Jake's in, in our Emma. Ask them. We probably have Moana on in our house now about, no joke, 16,000 times. I'm really not exaggerating either. If you think I am, you've had it more. You got us beat. Malia loves it. And then whenever we're, it's not on, she's singing the, all, every show tune because she remembers every one. But one of my favorite scenes is whenever Maui and Moana are traveling and they're getting ready to go into this big cavern where the, the world of monsters lives, Maui jumps in and he's, as he's falling over after a period of time, he says, I'm still falling. You don't remember that part, do you? Y'all need to go watch Moana. It's awesome. Not 16,000 times, but it's awesome. 
And when you enter into life thinking you're not going to fail, you will find yourself like Maui, falling through the pit, saying, I'm still falling. No one expects to fall, but the second is so similar to the first and that no one is exempt from falling. So if you're here today feeling guilty and shame because you have messed up, let me just release your burden. You're like every other person sitting in here today. So if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I did. Were you Jesus' top guy that denied him three times? The day you said you would go to, you would die with him? No matter what your area that you have fallen in, no one expects to fall, but no one is exempt from falling. I do find that in my own life, like Peter, when I am most confident that I am committed are the times that I often get blindsided. Things happen I wasn't ex- expecting emotionally i respond in ways i never thought i would have responded emotionally and like peter when that moment comes he falls again whatever you're failing whatever you're falling is in your own life insert yours into this story because this story is about us too if we go back to matthew 26 verse 69 it says now peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and the servant girl came up to him and said you also were with Jesus the Galilean. This is after Jesus has been arrested. He's already being tried and all the disciples are in disarray. They've scattered. They're scared to death. They know that whatever has happened to Jesus, they're going to be looking for them too. They know that they're part of his inner circle. You were also with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, I shared a couple of weeks ago some of the key differences between David and Saul. And if you're a fan of the Old Testament, you'll know that Saul was the first king of Israel. And Saul eventually turned away from the instructions of God and he was replaced by David. And a a good part of that story details Saul trying to chase down and destroy David because he knew he was a threat then to his kingship. The interesting thing is is that David's lineage stayed intact, even though he he was a bit of a mess. (laughs) I mean, David made mistakes left and right all over the place from the beginning to the end. And one of the things that was different between David and Saul is that Saul never repented, but David always did. When we look at what happened with Peter, none of us are better than him. None of us are more holy, more righteous, more committed, more self-controlled than him. But when he realized what he had done, it it doesn't say he was sorry. It says he wept bitterly. See, something changes in the life of someone who loves Jesus when they sin. 
The reality is, is that I am never going to be sin-free except for the moment that Jesus takes me home and I get to be with him in heaven. All of the things that tie us to this world in that moment in heaven, they will all be set loose from us and we will be able to worship fully, to live fully, and not be struggling with this thing that is tied to our humanity here on this earth. But until that moment, you're going to struggle with sin. If you love Jesus, the way you struggle with it will be different than if you don't. And that's what I want you to get through Peter's story. When you struggle with sin, then there is something going on in your relationship with Christ. When you don't struggle with sin, then something's not going on in your relationship with Christ. When Peter realized what he had done, it says he wept bitterly. The truth is, sin is not absent from those who love Jesus, but it does affect them differently. I'm looking at a room full of sinners. And if I had a mirror, I'd be looking at one more. We're all going to sin. But how do you respond when you know you have failed? Do you weep bitterly? You see, what I've learned in my own life and what I've learned in watching many of you and and watching others throughout my, my life as a Christian is that when someone loves Jesus, they realize that what they have done is hurt him and they've hurt themselves through sin. And so it causes a very different response and a very different reaction. It causes a response of mourning and of regret. It causes a response of hurt and a desire to make things right. And when you understand that, you begin to realize, I've messed up here, but he has not stopped loving me. I've sinned, And that doesn't mean that I no longer have a relationship with him. I'm messed up, but he's still here with me. So how we respond changes based on our love for him. We have a lack of peace and uneasiness. The last few weeks I've been reading through Proverbs just in my own study, and I've been seeing similar themes throughout Proverbs. And so I just wanted to pull some of these out for you. Proverbs 15, 9 and 10 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Do we hate reproof? Do we hate being found out? Do we want to ignore the sin in our lives? Or do we pursue righteousness? Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 15, 33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. And this is so crucial. Humility comes before honor. that's, That's a sermon in and of itself. Humility comes before honor because many of us, if you struggle with a lack of self-confidence, if you struggle with a lack of feeling value, then you will grab it from wherever you can get it. If you've got to do something that's unhealthy, you'll do it if you feel like you're getting acceptance. If someone's abusive to you, you will still stay with them because at least they're accepting me and they're giving me some level of value, even though it's unhealthy. If you're with people that 
they believe the world revolves around them, then you will begin to act and speak in a way that the world revolves around you. And that will lead you to deny what is good and what is righteous. Proverbs 16.2 says, and this, oh, this hits me every time I read it. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. In other words, it is easy for me to give myself a pass. Well, I'm just human. Well, I didn't know any better. Well, I didn't have a good example to follow. Well, you know, we come up with all these ways that it's no big deal when we get into sin that is sin. And the reality is, was when we love Jesus, we don't ignore that. We don't think that all our ways are pure. And it leads to the reality that honor comes only through humility. Now, the truth is, you don't live in a world that values humility or honors it. That's not the world you and I live in. This is one of the reasons it's hard to follow Christ at times, because the things that Christ says are most important, and you'll be rewarded for by Him, and you'll be rewarded in heaven, you'll be approved by Him, He will, will see what you're doing is righteous. The, the rest of the world doesn't go, yes, those, that's our list too. And so honor is not given to humility. Honor is given for superiority. And one of the problems that we have in the world today is that people are trying to gain honor by being better than everybody else. And in order for you to get to that place, you have to sacrifice humility to get there. And the things that the world honors are the things that God judges. And the things that God honors are the things that the world rejects. So if you are looking for value, if you are looking for significance, if you are looking for confidence based in what you see on TV, based in what you see by just people around you, then you are going to find yourself sacrificing for something that is a very pale comparison. Whenever we start a journey, I learned this lesson, and I will tell you a fairly painful way early on. Because when we got together, and, and those of you who don't know our story, Scott and I, we just kind of met through a creative pastors group. Scott did a lot of creative stuff at Dallas Bay, and I was a pastor of a church trying to do creative stuff there. And so we kind of got together and just talk, started talking about how do we communicate creatively to people. And along the way, the, the more Scott and I talked, the more we realized there's, there, we had more in common than just wanting to communicate creatively. We had a, a a common goal in, in who to reach and how to reach them. And the churches we were part of didn't really allow us to do some of those things. And so we began to talk about coming together. But we didn't know how in the world to do it. But we knew other people had. And so we started studying other churches, or we had been. We just started combining notes and looking for, you know, how do you, how do you have a church that is creative and innovative and reaches people that don't go to church? And it breaks from some of the traditional ways of doing church. And so there were a few people that were on kind of the, the top of the list of who you want to follow. And so we read all the books and we you know, put together our plan and we kind of said, well, that's how they do it. If it's working for them, then that's how we need to do it. And so early on, we did a lot of fun and crazy stuff. And we did a lot of stuff that didn't really work all that well either. But at least we would learn from them. About two years into doing Journey, 
Two of the top people on the list that we had just kind of watched and tried to pattern some of what we were doing after, it was found out, they didn't admit it, it was found out that two of these top pastors going to all of these conferences and you could go buy all of their church growth materials and all, you know, how to build your church like they built theirs. And, you know, we didn't know. And, but two of those top pastors were having affairs with their administrative assistants. It was found out. They didn't admit to it. It was found out. They, their jobs were taken from them. One ended up reconciling with his wife. One ended up divorcing his wife and marrying his administrative assistant. And anyways... It led for me a very crucial crisis of belief in the path that we were on. At the same time, I had a mentor in my life that was also a mentor to these guys. He was a big deal in church planning and stuff, and I would meet with him, and I just shared with him, I'm struggling. Because we as a group of young church planners who don't really know what we're doing have put these guys on a pedestal, which is sin, They don't belong on the pedestal. We put them there. We shouldn't have. But we've put them on this pedestal, and we bought that they know that God is blessing their ministry, that this is the way God works. And I do not believe that what is happening there is a blessing from God if the person responsible for it has been sleeping with his administrative assistant. And my mentor told me at that point I was just being harsh and mean which was my last meeting with him, consequently. And it was in that moment, not that I became better than them, but it was in that moment that I realized I at times put people on a pedestal above God. And where instead of listening for what God was telling me about pastoring a church, I was listening to what they were telling me. And I found that you can be very involved in a church culture and your heart can be very far from Christ. And so it was in those moments and early on here that things began to change in me and things began to change in us. And, and, and as we've just continued, more and more have come and more leaders have come and, and we have just seen God work through that, that God has continued to show us that he's asking each one of us, do you love me or do you love the idea of me? Do do we really love Jesus and that we're going to follow him where he takes us? That we're going to seek to know what he has to say to us? Or do we love the idea of a Jesus that will get us into heaven and rescue us when we make mistakes and give us stuff that we want when we don't have what we want? Is that the idea of Jesus that we want? Or do we really love him? And I find one of the struggles that I have as a pastor is Humility is not something that I seek after. But when you desire God, He orchestrates your life so that you receive humility even when it's painful for you to get it. Humility comes before honor. I have found that that one reality may be the single most important understanding for anyone who loves Jesus to understand. Humility comes before honor. The reason I think that that is important is not because of our 
an incessant desire to be honored, even though we all struggle with that to some degree. But instead, it is the requirement for humility to accept the gospel. If you look back at the entire representation of the gospel in the New Testament, John said it, Jesus said it, the disciples said it, Paul said it. Not that the gospel is about getting into heaven, but they always said the gospel is about repentance. The gospel is about repentance. And I will tell you, a person who has honor based on their own ability does not repent. The person who repents is a person who has come to the place to say, I, I am nothing. And I will tell you that is a very uncomfortable place as a grown man to be. As men, we don't want to feel like nothing. Women, you go through the same thing, but you tend to be a little more tender to that than we do. Not all, but most, I think. Humility is the place where I come and I say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Humility is a place where we come and we say, God, I want this whole world to be about me. I want to get everything out of this world, and I want to get more out of it than anybody else gets out of it. I want to have everything, and I just want to love my experience in this life. Humility says, I am nothing without you, and I will give everything to be with you and to follow you and to know you. How many times do we have huge goals in our life when the basics are taken care of? But then when we take a financial hit or someone we love gets sick or we realize our relationship has broken down, that we realize none of those goals matter anymore because now the thing that I held to most dearly is in trouble. Humility takes us to the place to say, none of these things matter. I just want to be with Jesus. Humility is a brokenness. It's a, it's a place where we no longer believe the world revolves around us, and it is something that is difficult for people to accept. And it's one of the reasons that so many people reject the gospel and so many people reject Jesus. And it's one of the reasons... That in a church culture today, there is so much emphasis on celebrity leaders. Because that's the way the world operates. But that's not the way Jesus operates. Jesus operates through humility because there is no honor without humility in his eyes. Proverbs 16.2 says, all the ways that are matter, I already read that. Verse Proverbs 16.5 Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. How's that? Feel good? Y'all feeling good now? Be assured he will not go unpunished. Praise the Lord. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Humility is so important. Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide divide the spoil with the proud. These are all contrary to the way the world works. And if you're performing a religious duty, if you're here because you're supposed to and you're hoping this gets you into heaven, if you're reading your Bible, not because this is God speaking to you, but because pastor said if you're a good Christian, you'll read your Bible, then it becomes empty and hollow and you just will give up because it doesn't mean anything. But instead, what he's calling us to is to love him. 
So at this point, we have Peter who has been told this is what he's going to do. He vehemently denies, I, I, I will be with you. He, he falls exactly the way Jesus does. But then I want you to see when Jesus is restored. Because like David, the difference between David and Paul is the difference between sometimes Peter and us sometimes. I want you to hear how he responds and how Jesus restores him. Verse 15 of John 21 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. This is after Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has come back and appeared to the apostles. And he spends a few days with the apostles before he ascends into heaven. And so it is after that. You can just imagine a sheepish Peter walking in, realizing Jesus actually did come out of the grave. He's sitting here and he knows what I've done and I've broken my promise. You can just imagine a dejected, you know, discouraged. Will he even accept me? Will he love me? Will he ex- bring me back? I, is he going to condemn me? Is he going to kill me? I, is it all over? Have I lost my opportunity with him? But he went. He went back. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's the question Jesus asks him. Why did you deny me? Why didn't you just listen to me? Why didn't you just stick with me? I mean, had you just stayed with me, everything would have been fine. Why didn't you just believe when you were supposed to believe? Why why couldn't you just let this work out the way it was supposed to? That could have been Jesus' response, but it wasn't. His response was a question, do you love me? See, this is the penetrating reality of the gospel, that it is not about a set of beliefs that get us into heaven if heaven is real. It is a relationship with Christ that says, I love you because you love me. I want to know you. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why is he saying this over and over and over? And whenever you find anything in Scripture that is repeated, the point is you need to get this. This is important. It's like putting three exclamation points beside, beside something. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. You can imagine inside Peter, Peter is going, I'm done. He's, he's, he's telling me I've failed. I've fallen. I failed so big, it's over. He doesn't even believe me anymore. How many times have you told yourself that in your own failings? Lost my place. Very, here we go. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19 says this. He said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Interestingly enough, after Jesus saying over and over, asking him over and over, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, tend my lambs. And then he says, follow me. 
This is the difference between David and Saul. This is the difference between Peter and many of us sometimes. This is the difference in someone who loves Jesus and is just doing their religious duty. Whenever we fall, Jesus welcomes us back, and the invitation is the same. Follow me. If you love Jesus, you return when you fall. Notice, I didn't say, if you love Jesus, you will not fall. But instead, if you love Jesus, you will return when you, you fall. This is one of the reasons that Scripture tells us to train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. It is not that we teach them certain precepts, and then they, because we taught it to them, they never forget them, and they always live them out, because we know that's not the way it works. We know, I mean, things our parents are still trying to teach us, and they're wondering why we're not doing them. Our kids don't always accept those lessons. The lesson is not that we teach our kids everything to believe. The lesson is that we teach our kids that Jesus loves them and they can love Jesus. And when they have seen that lived out in the life of a person, they will never forget it. He's calling us to love him. It changes us. Second thing I want you to see from this is that Jesus always welcomes repentant sinners, always. There's never been a moment that Jesus turned away a repentant sinner, never. He always welcomes them back. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Which literally, verse 10, what 10 is saying, is saying, I, I've got it all together. I don't sin anymore. Then we say that Jesus is a liar because Jesus says everybody sins. Just like Paul said, or Peter said, I'm not going to leave. And yet he left. Proverbs 21, 21, one more proverb for you today says, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. A couple other things that you can take away from what Jesus has exchanged with Peter is that I'm just going to leave. We're not going to do any more weeks on this, but some things we could do some more weeks on if we wanted to. Whenever he asked him, do you love me? What was his response? Feed my sheep. You can take from this response that if we love Jesus, those who love Jesus will care for others. If we're always only concerned about ourselves, which is what you're being taught from the moment you're born, then you're not being taught what it means to love Jesus. People who love Jesus care for others. That's what your calling is, just like it was for Peter's. Those who love Jesus will pursue him above pleasure. You remember the first week we talked about the Jesus was prophesying about what would be, and he said people will become lovers of self and lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Those who love Jesus have to pursue him above pleasure. For Peter, pleasure was not getting killed. So his bar was low. But pleasure was not getting killed at that moment. We pursue him above pleasure. The world is on a pursuit of pleasure. And that's why our world is quite honestly falling apart. That's why our nation is falling apart. We have embraced the idea that everyone should be allowed to pursue pleasure. And the reason that it's falling apart is because what one person finds pleasurable harms another. And whenever we defend everyone seeking their own pleasure, we eventually don't care who gets harmed. 
And what we're seeing now in the world is, well, if people are wanting pleasure, the ruler of the world wants people to want pleasure, and he hates those who follow Jesus. I'll lead them to find what is pleasurable, the things that hurt Christians. And that's why we're seeing so many things moving in the direction of hurting Christians. That's okay. You can harm them. Because not if everyone has pleasure, someone's getting harmed. We can't be pursuers of pleasure. We have to be pursuers of Christ. Third thing we can see from just that exchange with Peter and John is that those who love Jesus will follow his example because the last thing he told Peter was what? Follow me. If you're here today and you've made some significant mistakes in your life, can I just say that this is the conversation Jesus wants to have with you? If you're sitting here thinking, but I've messed up too much, this is the conversation Jesus wants to have with you. And at the end of that conversation, Jesus is going to issue the very same invitation. That is, okay, come on, follow me. We're in this together. I'm in this with you. Come be with me. To wrap all this up, if there's one thing for today I want you to take with you is this, that people who love Jesus always return when they fall. We could preempt that by saying you will fall. But if you love Jesus, you'll always come back. It may not be overnight. Sometimes it may take time for you to come back, but, they, but you always will. You come back. And I would... I would leave you, I would leave this series, I I debated on how to end this series. I would leave this series uh, by asking myself this question. I've asked myself this question many times over the last few weeks. And I would ask this question of you. What has kept you from loving Jesus? What has kept you from really loving him? Is that humility before honor thing a problem? I don't really want to be humble. No one enters into the world thinking, I just, my, the driving passion of my life is to be humble. No one enters the world like that. Instead, we enter thinking, I, I want everything to be about me. What has kept you from loving Jesus? Do you feel that you've fallen so far that he doesn't love you anymore? I've just fallen so much farther than anybody else. And I hear what you're saying, but this was really bad. Is that what's keeping you from loving him? Were you brought up in a performance theology that said God only loves you when you're doing the right thing and he doesn't love you when you're not? Did you come up in a, Tradition that said God is just looking to rain fire on you, but if you'll follow all the rules, He might spare you. There's a lot of people who grew up under that kind of belief system. What's keeping you from, from loving Jesus? I would encourage you that in your time of prayer, in your time of study, in your time with just you and God, these are good questions to ask good questions to struggle with. And I, I tell you, Jesus will respond. He will speak to you through his word. He will speak to you about what's going on in your life. And you know that he has never turned away a repentant person, ever. 
but will we choose the path of repentance? Admitting our wrong, turning from those thoughts or those actions, and going a different way. What's kept you from loving Jesus? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love, and I thank you that your love is not dependent on my ability to be good. I thank you that you didn't die for me because I was good enough for you to die for me, but you died for me because I wasn't and that you loved me. Father, I thank you for the examples in this room of humility and willingness to serve and give of themselves. I thank you for those who are just constantly helping others and seeing that their role in in this world is to help those that are in need because that is their response to their love for you. God, I, I pray for those that are struggling this morning. They want to know you. They want to follow you. But they feel their life is too much of a mess. Let them experience just a taste of the grace and the mercy that you have for them because of your great love for them. I pray for those that are are questioning what is the next step in their lives. They're just stuck in this place and they love you, but they don't know what you're doing or how you're working within their lives. Let them see your hand at work. Father, I pray that you'll forgive us when we sin. I pray that you will forgive us when we willingly sin without fear of repercussions. Father, I pray that you would hear our prayers of repentance this morning and each day. Father, as we make our decisions about where we're spending our time and how we're investing in places and in people, that our thoughts will go first to what does it look like to love you and who do you want us to invest in and where do you want us to spend our time. And we would change the way we see the world and change the way we see our lives. Father, I pray for those in this room who feel that they're struggling with feeling value or confidence. I pray that they would see that you honor humility You honor putting others before themselves. You honor a life that is broken before you. You honor those things. They are not signs of weakness. They are signs of strength and the ability for your power to work through us. I pray for those who are seeking significance at school or at work by doing things that they know are unhealthy, by hurting others so that they themselves benefit. Pray that we would find our significance in you. Father, we love you. We praise your name, your righteousness and your goodness, your love, all unmerited by us. Thank you that you have given us your son in Jesus' name.